Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. So if you would uh, turn to the book of Daniel with me, we'll be in Daniel chapter 3, and as you can tell, I am not Pastor Ed. Um, he is uh, recuperating, so we want to pray for him because... Uh, he had four wisdom teeth pulled out on Tuesday. And so what, what we expected to be a two to three day uh, recovery turned out to be a little bit longer. So he's still, uh, he's still recuperating. So let's, let's, let's pray for him right now. Father, we come before you right now. We wanna lift up our pastor. God, we pray that you would uh, give him a quick recovery. Lord, the pain that he's in, Lord, we pray that he would just subside and the healing would take place. And I know his heart is to be here with with the church and to, and to teach and to be in this position, Lord. And so we just pray you just give him some rest. Father, you would minister to his heart, Lord, and uh, give some time, Lord, to just speak to him. And he would come back just excited and ready with vision and, and we'd be able to run with him and what you're doing in our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we have a missionary in, uh, in South Africa. His name is Chad. And uh, he's a good friend of mine. We've been friends for many, many years. And he was doing this, uh, this thing with his church where he would ask the church to write questions that they had about the Bible. And then he would randomly pull out those questions and do a Bible study on them. And one of the questions that he came across was, how does a Christian, that's a question, Christian together, Christian, how does a Christian um, you know, differentiate between the difficulties of extreme grief and trials and the goodness of God, that he is a good God. And how could he let people go through that? How do we walk through those as, as believers? And, you know, and so he felt like he didn't or wasn't qualified to answer that question. So what he did was he called Pastor Ed. You know, Pastor Ed shared this story from the pulpit um, last year sometime I was sitting back there and he said something very simple, something I knew, I understood, I believed, but it was just one of those things where you hear it from a certain perspective, even though you've heard it a lot of times and you believe it, but sometimes at that moment it just clicks in your head. And I've used this illustration many times. If you sat in kind of any kind of counseling appointment with me, um, I'm sure I have used this in, in your life at some point because it was extremely helpful for me. And so Chad calls Pastor Ed and says, hey, I don't feel qualified to answer this question. What do I say? How do I reconcile um, extreme difficulties and yet the goodness of God? And so Ed had a very simple answer. And he just says, you need to ask the question, do you believe what the Bible says? Do you believe absolutely in the word of God? Do you believe that when God says that his plans for you are good and that he's gonna walk you through difficult trials, right? Because God has never promised us deliverance from trials, but he has promised us to go through them with us. Do you really believe it? And that's the question we kinda wanna talk about today because life is hard. Can I get an amen? Some of you have harder lives than others. Some of you are going through some very extreme things. You know, marriage is falling apart. Health is really bad. Financial issues are bad. You got a lot of stresses and you got a lot of, 
You got a lot of stuff because you are you and I am me and I got my own junk in my own life, my anxieties, my fears. And a lot of the choices that we make in life because we choose not to trust in the Lord, we, we dig ourselves into a hole. Amen? We, we just do that. Instead of just trusting in the Lord, we try to take things in our own strength, in our own wisdom, our own experience, and we end up making things worse. When, when all we had to do was just stop and say, all right, Lord, I, I, this is how I feel. This is where my feelings are taking me. I feel hopeless. I feel meaningless. I feel like nobody loves me. I feel like all this stuff is going on in my life. But here's what your word says. And so we're, we're stuck at this crossroads. What do we do? Do we dwell on the emotional side? And, and our emotions are very real. And some of you, especially you ladies, you know, you guys are straight up emotional, Right? <laughs> Um, I'm a very emotional person. People tease me and my wife. They're like, your wife is the man and you are the woman. And uh, it really is. It really is that way. You know, I'm very, I'm, yeah, so we want to get into my life. But we let our emotions get the best of us, right? I mean, it's, it's normal. All the dudes are like, nah, man, not me. Well, that's like an emotion right there. Like you're just tough and you're letting it get the best of you. And so balancing that emotional life with, with the trusting of the Lord. And it's a simple trust. And, and, the, re, and the thing is, is like you can, you can even be at a place right now where you're like, I know what God says. I know what his word says. But I'm so entrenched in my emotional state right now that I don't even believe it. And so what do we do with that? Well, here's what we do. Here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to learn as a Christian man and a Christian woman trying to walk through all the difficulties of life and the trials that come. You have to, just like you had simple faith to sit down on the chair that you're sitting in. I don't think I saw any of you shaking the chair, right? To make sure it was put together well. You just sat down without even thinking about it. And the reality is that we have to get to a place in our Christian walk where we do that with God. Where we say, this is how I feel, Lord. This is what's going on in my life. It's, I'm so racked with, with my emotions and the trials of life and history. And, and your word says this, but I just don't, I'm at a place where I don't even believe it. Because why would you say this and then me going through this? It doesn't make sense to me. And you have to choose to just trust in the Lord, to trust in his word, just like you sat down in that chair, just like you put a key in your ignition of your car and you expected it to start, unless you're driving some beater, right? You're like, Lord, please, start today. Right? I had one of those. But you, you trust that, absolute faith, right? You get on a freeway with absolute faith that the person next to you is not just gonna come slamming into you. We, we operate in faith consistently, regularly, all day long, you know? And, and so in the book of Daniel, chapter three, we see this, these young men walking through their culture walking through government changes, walking through musical instruments and musical influence, walking through idolatry, walking through emotions, walking through fear, and in their early 20s, setting a great example for all of us to follow. Daniel chapter three, just to get us all caught up, Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream by God. This image of, of a person, head of gold, arms and chest of silver, stomach of bronze, iron legs, and feet mixed with clay and iron. 
And he was so distraught about this dream and what it meant that he gathered all the wise men in the area. And Babylon at the time was the first and many theologians and historians believe the greatest world empire that ever has been and ever will be on the planet until Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom here on earth. That is why I believe we see this mystery Babylon in the book of Revelation because it's speaking of that entirety of, of, of the power of Babylon. And so... King Nebuchadnezzar, with his, the stretch of his power, able to summon all the wise men from the area to come. And he, this is what he says to them. I had a dream. I want you to interpret it and tell me what it means. But I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You have to tell me what the dream is and then what the interpretation is. And the dudes are like, excuse me? Like, you want me to do what? They're, and they even said, when you read it, like, nobody can do that. That's impossible. He's like, well, you better figure it out because if you don't, you're going to die. And so they find Daniel. You know, Daniel prays. He goes to his three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's like, listen, man, we got to have the biggest prayer meeting of our life right now. Because if we don't come up with the dream and the interpretation, we're going to die. And so they had this prayer meeting. And they prayed. And God gave him the dream. And then God gave him the interpretation. And, and the dream of, was this statue this image, and here's the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. The chest and the arms of silver is the Medo-Persian empire that came in after Babylon and took the empire away. So they became the world empire. And this is all historical, right? After the Medo-Persian empire, Greece came in. Alexander the Great conquered the world at that time. After Greece, Rome came in and Rome conquered the known world at that time. And then we have this feat we have the feet with the toes mixed with iron and mixed with clay, partly strong and partly weak. You know, this last empire, right, is it's speaking of a future empire that we are not, a, well, technically we are in it right now. We are in this feet mixed with clay and toes. But the fulfillment of this is going to be when the Antichrist sets himself up sometime in the future. Daniel gave 70 70 weeks, which is 70, um, 70 weeks times seven. So each week represents seven years. So 490 years, he gave prophetic prophecies. 69 of those weeks have already been fulfilled. We've already seen them in history. Everything he said from the book of Daniel, the next few chapters, if you read through, historically today has been fulfilled except for one of the last weeks, the last seven years, which we believe as a, as a Calvary Chapel and Christian nation that that is the tribulation, that that is what's going to happen. The church is going to get raptured. The tribulation is going to begin. At the middle part of that tribulation, the Antichrist is going to set himself up as king and he is going to be the fulfillment of this feet and toes that are mixed with iron and clay. And in this dream, if you turn back to chapter 2, verse 32, it says, The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. 
And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So that stone that has cut out without hands is speaking of the last empire that's going to rule the world. And guess who it's going to be? It's going to be Jesus and it's going to be you and me. He's going to crush the Antichrist and his world reign that he's going to have over the earth at that time. Absolutely crush it. And every other empire he's going to, it, it, whatever that stone turns into a mountain and it consumes the world, the final empire of Jesus Christ, his rule and reign upon the earth, heaven, eternity, where we get to rule and reign with him um, in peace, no more tears, all that stuff that's going on. This is the background of what's, where, where these three young men are right in the middle. There was this coup that had risen up within Nebuchadnezzar's government. They tried to overthrow him from within around 595 BC. Most likely because of this dream that he had. They, the interpretation was given. People were listening and hearing. They're like, I want to be that dude. I want to be that stone that knocks down Nebuchadnezzar and takes over the empire. That's going to be me. He's going to fall down at some point. And so naturally there was some sort of internal coup that rose up and he found out about it and he stopped it. You know, just another notch of pride for a prideful man. And most likely because of that coup, what this man does, because of his stretching ability of power in the world at that time, you know, uh, he, he summons all the government officials, everybody that's in charge of something to come to worship this idol that he created. He built this 100-foot-tall statue in the middle of this area that was about six miles outside of Babylon, and the world was to come to worship this idol just to prove a point that he can do it, just to show that he's able to call the world to worship an idol that he has created. It would be the equivalent of like, let's say Trump was to summon every government official in the United States today and says, hey, we're all gonna meet in Las Vegas in my Trump hotel, the big gold one that's right there off the strip. When the music plays, you're all gonna bow down and worship it. That's, what he, that's basically what he's saying. But let's say Trump was the president of the world and he's calling the governments from China and Africa and he had the ability to do that. We're all gonna meet in, in, uh, we're all gonna meet in Vegas. You're gonna bow down and worship my gold building. Everybody does it except for three people. You know, could you imagine if he did that? You'd be like, why did I vote for that man, <laughs> right? You, it would be, it would be um, an absolute reach of control and this is what he had, right? He did this, it seems like as a reminder to all the, all the rulers that he's in control, that his pride was outrageous, that he wasn't, it wasn't a religious thing, but it was like a, like a salute to the flag, like I am, I'm surrendering my, my rights and I'm supporting you, um, Nebuchadnezzar. There was, um, there was a, a TV show called The Great Mysteries of the Bible. And they, uh, they unearthed this clay pot in, uh, in Iraq, which is where Babylon is today. 
And because there's a lot of historians who think that the book of Daniel is a bunch of allegories and it's a bunch of stories. It wasn't a historical thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't really exist. Daniel wasn't a real person. The fire, the lion's den, all that kind of stuff. They're just pictures for us to learn how to trust God. They weren't historical people. Uh, but we do know that Jesus called Daniel a prophet when he was speaking to the people. But this clay cylinder that was found had three names on it. The first one was Hananunu, which is Aramaic for Hananiah. The next one was Mishael Marduk, which is Aramaic for Meshach. And Abu Nibu, which is Aramaic for Abednego. And on this cylinder, each one of these had been labeled as having an honorable position in the, in the, in the government of Babylon. So there you go, history. Right, all you fake guys who wanna say that none of this stuff is real. Like history will always reveal itself. One of the great things about the Middle East is the longer history goes, the more things we're gonna see are real in the Bible. Right, and I can't wait for the day that we find the Ark of the Covenant or we find the um, Noah's Ark or we find these things that, that, we know are, that, that we know exist and time is just gonna tell. When I was in, um, when I was in Israel in November, they were trying to build a parking structure. If you've been to Israel, you know the parking is ridiculous around Jerusalem. But they found some ruins, and so they can't build a, uh, like it seems like every time they try to dig to build something, they find something. And they just continue, Lord, to dig stuff up. They continue to show that history, that bi the Bible is very provable. That it's not just a book of fictional stories, that there's archeological proof that go along to what we believe. And so we have this foundation that it's not just, it's not just blind faith, but it's faith in something that is very real and tangible that we can see. So let's jump into this, verse one of chapter three. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. Just showing the scope, right? Everybody who's represented, peoples, nations, all the languages at that time. That at that time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery and symphony. With all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And so at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp and lyre and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When archeologists discovered Babylon, they, they, um, they uncovered huge halls where the walls were covered with solid gold. Babylon was known to be a city of gold. They, they also, in one of their rooms, found a table 60 feet long, solid gold. And a lot of historians and theologians believe that 
because gold was so plentiful and because Nebuchadnezzar in his head and in his pride was the head of gold, he was like, I'm gonna build a 90 foot to 100 foot statue, possibly of himself. A lot of people believe that it was from solid gold. And if that was the case, if it's solid gold, that's five million cubic pounds of gold. Do you know how much that is in today's culture, today's time? 30 billion dollars. You talk about a dude that's got some pride. I'm gonna build a 30 billion dollar statue of myself, summon the entire planet to come and worship this image. And yet these three young boys in their early 20s not going to do it. I'm not going to bow down. And I think as Christians, we could probably get to a place, some of you would reason, like, why didn't they just bow down? Like, why wouldn't you just do that and get up, you know, and ask God for forgiveness? Sure, he would forgive you. It was one time, you know, a little bit of compromise. But these boys were like, I'm not going to compromise at all, not even a little bit. Because they probably in their mind was like, maybe we should just do it. Maybe we should just get down but I, I doubt that that thought would go through their mind. I can tell you right now, that thought would go through my mind. If Trump made me do that, and I'd be like, maybe I should just bow down, get this over with, I get back to life, I ask God to forgive me, and it, you know what I mean? But these boys were like, it's not gonna happen. I'm not gonna compromise, not even a little bit. I'm not gonna give in to any kind of pressure, no matter who it is. And remember, they're standing before the king who conquered the known world, they're standing before every single government official that was represented in that nation. You talk about pressure. And these boys are like, I am not giving in. And you talk about how these young boys were raised by godly parents who instilled in them godly principles that nothing culturally was going to affect them. We know what happened in the book of Daniel in chapter one, right? The king was like, man, eat all my food. Here's all the good stuff. Here's all the goodies. And they're like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to compromise even a little bit. These government officials that had showed up to bow down and worship this image, showing the scope and the, and the reach of Nebuchadnezzar's power, let's look at some of them. The satraps, these were administrators or guardians or watchers and, and the chief representatives of the king. The prefects were commanders or military chiefs. The governors seemed to refer to presidents or governors of civil government. The counselors were the government or uh, of chief arbitrators. The treasurers were superintendents of the public treasury. The justices were lawyers or guardians of the law. And the magistrates were like judges in a more stricter sense where they actually handed out sentences to people. So these were important people, people that the world would look up to and look for advice and look for leadership. And their leadership was to bow down to some golden image that was created. And, and they were doing this out of fear. Because King Nebuchadnezzar was known for roasting people alive. Jeremiah chapter 29 tells us that he would roast false prophets on a regular basis just because, just because he could. And so they knew if King Nebuchadnezzar says, you bow down and worship or die, their fear caused them to give in. You know, one of the things that, that I have... Um, really run into with a lot of people with counseling and even in my own life is like, what causes you to not be sober-minded? 
And I'm not talking about being inebriated with some sort of alcohol or drug. I'm talking what emotion in your life causes you on a regular basis to not be sober-minded? Maybe you're, you're, you're stuck in an anxiety and your anxiety causes you to not think clearly. Maybe it's, uh, you're a lustful person and your lust just causes you to not think clearly. Anger, jealousy, you name it. What is it? Everybody has something in our life. When we just let it get out of control, we absolutely lose our mind. Absolutely lose our mind. And there's really no difference between a Christian who says, I am so hopeless right now. This is the promises of God, but I just don't believe them. My life is worthless. I'm just going to commit suicide. There's no different than that than a man who's drunk or high in some sort of, uh, some sort of uh, chemical and he's standing up on a building going, I'm going to jump off and not get hurt. There's no difference in that type of thinking because what's the result in both ways? You're going to get hurt. You jump off a building and liberated, you're going to get hurt. You as a believer choose not to trust the Lord because you want to dwell on your own emotions and your own problems that are going on. You're going to get hurt. It's a whole lot easier if you just give it over to the Lord and you trust in Him in a simple way. And you may be saying right now, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that, Pastor Aaron. I'll give you a very simple illustration. We talked about it earlier. You absolutely trusted that chair you sat in. You need to learn to absolutely trust the Lord even when you don't trust the Lord. Even when you feel like you can't trust the Lord, you have to make the choice to do it anyways. Because if not, if we don't do that, we're constantly gonna get tossed around to and fro. Right, so James says, a, man, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He's tossed around to and fro by the ways and the, and the things of this world. We have to be set in what we believe and why we believe it. Even if I can't understand it completely, Lord, I choose to trust it just like I sit down in this chair. I don't doubt it at all. I just do it. And we have to do the same thing with God. This is what your word says, Lord, but this is how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm choosing to push that aside and I'm choosing to just trust in what you say. You know, when we look at culture, and we look at influences that drag us away from the Lord. Music is a big one of those things that, if we are not careful, can absolutely destroy our life. Music and the call of music is a very powerful thing. What does hearing songs from your party days bring up in your mind? Some of you older people, right, you're listening to classic rock. Led Zeppelin pops up on the radio. You're like, oh man, I remember that time I was high on acid. Blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever it is, you know, and you're younger people who got saved and you're listening to something that was back in the 90s, 80s, whatever it might be. Like those, those that music had a big influence in your life. Like, I love music. I, I, it's one of my, it's one of my most favorite things in the world. I have to, I have to have, it drives my wife nuts because I have to have music on all the time. When I'm studying, I have music. Driving in the car, I got music. I'm working out, I got music. If I'm working somewhere, I got, I got music all the time. You know, and, um, you know, I was born and raised in the church, but I, you know, I got into my secular music, you know, and I had at one point 500 something CDs in my house. And I remember there was a friend of mine um, who just got saved brand new Christian, and I was listening to something I probably shouldn't have been, you know, and he's like, why, why are you listening to that music? You know, and I had the typical response, wow, you know, I don't listen to the words, I like the music. 
and which is a straight out lie. If you're telling that to yourself, guess what? You're lying to yourself. Stop it. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not a nice thing to say. You're absolutely being influenced by the words. And, um, and he kind of bugged me about that for a while. So finally, I just, I got rid of, I was like, fine. I went down to my local uh, used CD store, sold all my CDs, made like $6. I was so mad. It's like, I have so much money and I got six bucks back. I'm exaggerating, but it felt that way. You know, and about a year later, guess what? I had all my CDs back. <laughs> I bought them all back, plus, plus some. And so I was uh, leading a young married couple's home Bible study in my house. And it was back in the day when it was cool to have those big old CD racks in your house, you know, around your TV and had all my CDs in there. Like, yeah, look at my, look at my music collection. And uh, so this guy came in a little bit early, him and his wife, and he's one of, he was on our worship team and, and he was looking through my music and I was just like thinking, oh man. And he turns around to me and he goes, you know what he said? He goes, man, I thought you were one of those good Christians. And I was like, oh man, you pull this thing out of my heart right now. I, I just felt bad because he looked at me like, what are you doing? Like, and a lot of the music, not, and I'm not saying that secular music is bad, but I am saying that the, the enemy, the devil, 100% has a foothold in that industry. Absolutely. Just like he has a foothold in the media, like he has a foothold in Hollywood, he has a foothold in things that influence around us that we probably don't even realize. He has an absolute foothold. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, you're gonna be the one, CD rack in your house, having some young Christian walk in and go, oh man, I thought you were one of those good Christians. And uh, man, I felt bad. So I finally got rid of all my CDs and I haven't, I haven't purchased them back, thank God, yet. And, uh, but not planning to, but I do love music. It is an absolute love of my life. Um, and we know the devil was a musical being. The Bible says that he was created to be musical. A lot of theologians believe that the devil was the worship leader in heaven. That's, that's what he did. It was his main role. It's what probably got him prideful in a big head. You know, that's why we got to tell Ian on occasion, bro, you just, you messed up. Just tell him you messed up. Keep him, keep him, uh, you know, keep him on the level. Worship has a way, and music has a way of puffing people up, but it also has a way of stripping things down to the rawness of who we are as Christians. And if we are not careful, um, we, have to be, we have to be very mindful that the devil was, like he was created, it was almost like he's not just a musician, like he didn't just play instruments, that he was the instrument. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 28, it talks about how he was created and your, it talks about your pipes and your timbrels that, were, that you were made in. Like it was just, it was just, it came out from him. It was who he was. It was music. And it was pride that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven, most likely because of the influence of music. It was pride that brought Nebuchadnezzar to bring an image to worship in his honor, which was summoned by music. And it's common for most problems in a church to come from the worship team. And as a worship leader and being involved in worship for many, many years, I've heard it over and over again from pastors going, well, you know, the devil was a worship leader. And the reality is, is music has a way of stripping things down or building things up. Pride runs rampant throughout the professional music community. Satan absolutely has a foothold on him. But what we have to remember is that music is absolutely created by God. Like he made it and wants us to do it. He wants you to sing. And I know some of you don't like to hear that, 
And you're probably thinking, no, Pastor Aaron, you don't want to hear me sing. That's why I don't, hear, that's why I don't sing. But the reality is, is as a Christian people called together, gathering this type, of, this type of meeting where we're studying the word together, we're praying together, we're singing together, there's something powerful there. There's something special there. And if you are not participating in that because you don't like it, you're missing out on something so great. You're missing out on, on, on a few things. You're missing out on the fact that you can humble yourself before the Lord. Because worship music and singing to the Lord does two things. Number one, it's lifting the Lord high because you're singing praises to his name. And the second thing is it's humbling yourself. Because you're like, man, I don't like my voice. I don't want to have to lift my hands. That song we said said stand and lift my hands. You want me to do two of them at one time? Uh, no. I can sit down with my hands raised or I'll stand up. But I'm not doing both. You know what I mean? And that idea of this is what God's asked us to do. So we need to be faithful in, in doing it. Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God created music. And when we're, when we're using music to combat pride in our life, it is, a, it is a heart of worship that does that. But worship music has its ups and its downs. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai? He comes down and you remember what he ran into when he got down to the bottom of the hill? Craziness going on. Uh, the people had just absolutely went nuts. They, they brought out their musical instruments. They started playing Led Zeppelin and the next thing you know, they're all naked. You know what I mean? It was an absolute, it was absolutely wrong. So much so that Moses threw the tablets down on the ground and he goes to his brother who happens to be named Aaron, right? It's like a stain on my name. What is going on, Aaron? And his response is so dumb, right? I don't know, we got some gold together, threw it in the fire and this calf came out and then we all started worshiping it. It's like, it's like come on, bro, like just... Isn't that how we do things though? Isn't that how we um, handle situations? We just excuse it away instead of taking responsibility for it? It would have been much better if he would have been, I got, no, I got no excuse. I just gave in. I gave in in my flesh. They started playing music. The next thing we know, we busted out the wine. You know, and I wanna encourage you today because I, I, I wanna challenge you guys today because I'm sure today, some of you, you're gonna go home you got your friends coming over, you got family coming over, and you probably already have purpose in your mind that you're gonna get drunk. You got your alcohol at the house because your friends come in. And I wanna I want encourage you today, don't do it. Don't, don't give in to that. Don't give in to the pressure of, hey, it's Super Bowl week, that's what we do at Super Bowl. It's a Super Bowl party, don't, don't do it. Those of you that are, that are and, I, and I believe that's a word from the Lord for someone here today, that you've already purposed in your head that you're gonna do that. Like you're already thinking about your cooler and God's like, don't do it. You don't wanna be the Aaron worshiper, worshiping in that way. It has a way of destroying things. But on the other hand, we see in 2 Samuel chapter six, David, right? He gets the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Jerusalem 
and the, and, the, and the place is going nuts. So much so that he takes off his, his, um, his kingly robe and he's running around like in, in the equivalent of his, of his underwear, right? This little thing that he has on and his wife is looking at him going, I'm so embarrassed for you, right? She's like, what are you doing? Do you remember his response? He's like, listen, I'm gonna be even more undignified than this. I'm gonna worship the Lord no matter what. And, and so music has a way of puffing you up to get you to a place of, uh, of allowing lyrical masters that are influenced by Satan to harden your heart to the things of God or lyrical masters who are inspired by the Holy Spirit to soften your heart to the things of the Lord and rip you down to the bareness. And this whole thing of music is no small thing. This summons of music to worship this golden idol is not a small thing and it shouldn't be just skipped over in this text. And because of this, this musical summoning, if you didn't bow down, it was immediate death, thrown into a furnace. And these furnaces, on average, were about 1,500 degrees. And in this town, uh, this area of the city, or of the, uh, where, um, what's the town? Babylon is, the brick furnaces were very normal, so big that you could walk into them. 1,500 degrees was the normal. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar was known for roasting people alive. If you're taking notes, Jeremiah 29, verses 21 through 23 is the area where it talks about Nebuchadnezzar roasting false prophets alive. And so when the people gathered together, they knew that Nebuchadnezzar was not messing around. And so the key here is to be sober-minded, to not let fear make you do something that you're gonna regret or not have you do something that God has asked you to do. They, these men, out of fear of who King Nebuchadnezzar was, absolutely not thinking clearly, just saluting to the flag because they were afraid of death. Verse eight. Therefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. And you know, and, and here, we see these men that were in the government of, of King Nebuchadnezzar were so taken over with jealousy of these young men because these young men have risen in the positions higher than them at 21, 22 years of age. These older guys have been around forever. And they're like, who are these young? They're not even, they're not even Gentiles, they're Jews. Like these, these three boys were ripped from their Jewish home and brought in and retrained and retaught and learning the language of the Babylonians, learning the, the religion of the Babylonians, learning how the government worked. And yet God blessed them because they chose not to give in to the pressures of the world. And God said, I'm gonna raise you up so much so that the rest of the satraps and the magistrates, they were so jealous. They're like, hey king, Guess what's going on? These three boys, they're not listening to what you said. They're not showing any regard for the king, a prick to his pride. All right, they're not serving your gods, another prick to his pride. And they refuse to worship the golden image that you have set up. 
You know, they're making it sound like it was a slap to, a fa- slap to his face in his pride. These boys don't respect you at all. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? And this just shows the good favor that these men had in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. Because anybody else? It would have been instant right to the fire, but he's given them a second chance. Verse 15. Now if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and he said to the king, and I love this answer, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery, from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Appealing to a prideful man's pride will always, great, will always yield great results. These men in their positions were like, hey, king, these guys are not doing what you said. You were the one that was in the dream, remember? You were the head of gold. You defeated the coup that was rising up in your ranks. You gathered all the rulers together. You built this golden image. You command all to worship, and guess what? They all worship except for these three. What are you going to do about it? The Bible has much to say about pride and that it is a very dangerous drug. Proverbs chapter 16 says that pride comes before a fall. And James chapter 4 tells us that we are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he's going to lift us up. You know, and we see the pride just growing in, the, in this Nebuchadnezzar. And he says in verse 15, like, who is the God that's going to deliver you from my hand? And we know he had a problem because in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was one of the greatest minds that this, this world has ever known. He, he created one of the seven wonders of the world. One of the gardens that he made for his wife was a technological impossibility for that time. Running water everywhere, and it was, it was incredible. And he was walking around. He was walking around his garden one day going, look at what I have made for my glory and for my splendor, for my this and that. And he's talking about how he's so great. And God struck him eventually with a sickness where he thought he was a cow. And what they ended up doing was made a little patch of grass in the back of his temple that he just kind of mowed around in eating grass. And God, this is what, this is what God says. You want to be prideful? I'm going to make you eat your pride. He was so prideful himself about that garden. God said, you're going to eat it. You're going to eat the very thing that you're so prideful in your life about. Pride will always destroy Absolutely. You know, and it's funny how quickly he forgot because back in chapter 2, he praises the God of Daniel because he gave him the vision. He gave him the dream. Oh, man, how your God is, you know, appealing to a prideful man's pride will always yield great results. But these three young men were the opposite of pride. They were the opposite of of Nebuchadnezzar. Their answer was in complete confidence in the Lord. They didn't have to explain their belief to him. And it's it's interesting. It's almost kind of like 
they're looking at him like, why would you ask us that question, King? Like, you, you should know us by now. Back when you took us from our family, when you ripped us from our family and tried to brainwash us and give us your, the food. Of, you know we didn't do that. You know that we're not the same kind of people as the rest of your people. Like, why would you think that I'm going to bow down and worship your idol? We don't even have to answer that question because our life, our life answers that question. You know what I mean? Isn't that how we should be? Like, your friends shouldn't say, hey, man, you're going to come on Friday night to, have, to go get wasted with me? They should know. I'm not even going to ask that question because the answer is no. That's how our life should live, should be living. Amen? And their answer, right, this simple response in faith, they said, our God whom we serve is able. He is able to deliver us. You know, Paul said something similar to that. If you turn to the book of Ephesians with me. Ephesians chapter 3. In verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I'm sure at some point Paul was like, listen, I know that sounds crazy, that you as a Christian person filled with the Holy Spirit are able to go beyond your ability to understand the knowledge that you have in your brain because of the power that's in you through the Holy Spirit. You can know more than that supernaturally. And I know that seems crazy. So let me finish my thought. In verse 20, he says, so now to him who is able, to God who is able to do that in your life, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I don't know about you, but I can ask for a lot of things. And I can think about a lot of things about how and where I want to see God take me in my future and where I want to see my marriage go in the future and where I want to see my son go in the future and my future grandchildren and what I want to do in ministry. I have a lot of things that I can think and ask for and God's saying, all those things that you can think and ask for, guess what? I want to blow your mind. And I want you to trust me because I am able. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted in God because he is able You know, and they said, but if not, in verse 18, but if not, right? And this is not a declaration of unbelief, but it was a complete trust in whatever the will of God was. Complete trust, absolute humility. Whatever whatever God decides, that's what I want. He is able to save, but he is also sovereign to take us home. Verse 19 goes on, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and he commanded, they heat the furnace seven times more than it usually was heated. So that's like 10,500 degrees, right around there. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. When you prick a prideful man's pride, it will awaken the dragon. 
right? This man became furious seven times hotter. And what's interesting and what's important for us to get is why did he choose the mightiest men to bind up three boys? The scrawniest man in the military or one of the lawyers or whoever they were could have tied ropes around these guys so they couldn't get up. And anybody could have done that. But he chose the, the men of valor. Most likely they were his personal guards. The, the dudes that you didn't want to mess with. These are the guys that tied the binds around the arms of these young men to drag them into. And there's, it's important for us to understand that no matter what your trial is in your life, it could be the biggest thing that you've ever gone through, right, is a picture. These mighty men are a picture of the greatest binding of your life. And what happens when they come out of the fire? Well, we're going to get there. That, that those bindings are the only thing that were taken off. That God can get you through the most toughest events of your life. So the crowd was hushed. They're just waiting for them. Remember all the rulers were present? These three young men stood up to the king in the face of death. You know, what a great example for us to follow. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and he spoke to the counselors. Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the fiery, of the burning fiery furnace and spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected and the smell of fire was not on them. This is just showing God's complete ability to keep you safe through the hardest things. The mightiest men in the army tied the bounds to these young men and they were the only thing that were loosed. You can, I, can, I, I like to picture this, you know, as Jesus is looking at Nebuchadnezzar, they're kind of hanging out in the fire going, what is going on right now? <laughs> like, why am I not dead? Why am I not burning up? And I'm sure they're thinking, man, I can't wait to see Daniel. He is not going to believe what, what is going on right now. When we tell him that we got thrown in the fire and we didn't die, he's going to trip out. And I can just imagine Jesus looking at Nebuchadnezzar going, Nebuchadnezzar's freaking out right now. Don't turn around. Let's continue to talk and hang out in here and see what he does. You know, it's like, what, I mean, I would love to, when I get to heaven, I want to talk to them. Like, what did you guys talk about in the midst of this fire? Because could you imagine you know, what, what actually was going on? They're like, man, Lord, you are here. We believe. And I'm sure some of the conversation from Jesus to, to those boys was, I am so proud of you. I am so proud that you didn't give up. I'm so proud that you didn't bow down, not even for compromise. And I promised that I would be with you. I promised that I would, I would deliver you, right? Their hair wasn't singed. Their clothes were not singed. And you, normally they would get cast in the fire completely without clothes. It was what they normally did. But because of his anger and the haste, all their clothes, no smell of fire on them whatsoever. And the only thing that was loosed was the bonds that were given. The rope was gone. 
And it's just showing to us that these symbols of our culture, of idolatry, government pressure, emotions, the media, all these things that press us to doubt God's word, if we just trust him simply, he's gonna walk us through it. No matter what it might be, health issues, marital issues, financial issues, your doubting, your anxieties, your fears, your jealousies, your lust, your addictions, all these things that we walk through and just kind of struggle through life with, God's like, man, just trust me. Just trust me to get you through it because I will walk you absolutely through that. There were symbols of unbelief, symbols of wrath, and symbols of pride. And we finish up in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servant who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god under their own god. And therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. He hasn't really learned his lesson. So it's like, ah, we're gonna cut you into pieces instead of burn you. And their houses shall be made in ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So I wanna encourage you with something real quick. I know some of you know my, my personal testimony, but a lot of you probably don't. I, I am a product of a extremely godly man and an extremely godly woman. Um, I have, I have uh, the greatest parents who have set the greatest example of what it looks like to be a person who loves Jesus. And they absolutely, absolutely displayed that to me as a young boy. And so for you parents and for you young people out there, I wanna encourage you to know that as you parent your children, and as you teach them the things of the Lord and you teach them to trust in the Lord and you model that for them. I, I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never been drunk. I've uh, never been to a party or a club or a bar. My wife is the only woman I've ever kissed in my entire life. And, and I'm not saying that to brag, but I'm saying that because I am a product of godly parents who prayed for me, who not only prayed for me, but put me in church but not only put me in church, but modeled what it looked like to be a believer. From my earliest memories, I have memories with my dad passing out tracks in front of the uh, grocery stores, going to Mexico and helping him build an orphanage, hanging doors because he was a carpenter at Calvary Chapel Downey where I grew up, doing all kinds of outreach ministries. I remember I was at um, Fred C. Nellis, which is a boys detention center with my father. I have this picture of him. He was, he was with the black guy, big old Afro, orange suits, sitting down on a blanket, and my dad was there with the Bible, reading it to him and discipling him, and I was sitting there with him. Like I have these images in my head that are burned into my head. At that time, all I knew was I wanted to be with my dad because I was young, he's my dad, you know, he's my hero. But now as I'm an adult and I look back at how my dad influenced my life and how I am and what I am today, you know, I wanna encourage you fathers to model Christianity for your children. Don't just talk about it, but do it. And for your moms, you know, my mom was the most one of the most loving, caring, thoughtful women that I've ever met, you know, and she has absolutely impacted my life. And so you moms have a big, big role in the lives of your children. And I wanna encourage you young people that are here today that you don't have to give in. You don't have to give in to the pressures of the 
of the stupidity that can happen on Snapchat and the stupidity that can happen with Instagram and all of these social media apps that go on, there's so much junk that happens and you parents need to watch your kids, watch their apps, watch what they're doing, who they're friending. It is important because it'll absolutely destroy your kids. Um, but you don't have to give in. You don't have to do that. You know, what's really great about these three young men, one chapter in the Bible, that's all that's mentioned, Daniel chapter three. We don't see them before chapter three. We don't really see them after. What kind of legacy do you wanna leave? The Bible says that our life is but a hand breath. That's just three fingers, right? It's a vapor. We're gone, we're here today, gone tomorrow. We don't have time to mess around. We don't have time to let the world rule our life. We don't have time to let fear keep us from doing things that God has asked us to do. We don't have time to let jealousy keep us from restoring relationships. We don't have time for unforgiveness. We don't have time to, to keep bitter towards your wife or keep bitterness towards your husband. We don't have time for that junk. Absolutely do not have time for it. So stop it. I can't, Pastor Aaron. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That's what your head says. That's what your heart says. And my Bible says that my heart is deceitfully wicked. And my Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can forgive the most heinous thing that ever happened to me. That I can work to restore and love my wife, to love my husband, to forgive, to not walk in jealousy. And I can do those things through Christ. Simple, right? To ch you choose to sit down on this chair Right? You choose to believe. You choose to trust. Even though you don't fully understand it, you just do it. So, Father, we thank you for today. Lord, and we, and we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. You have told us that the Godhead dwells within us. That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. Lord, help me, Lord God, to trust you more. Help me, God, to walk in faith. Lord, because we know that without faith, it's impossible to please you. Your word says that um, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. And as I grow in, my, in the word, that I'm gonna grow in faith, that I'm gonna grow in my ability to trust you. Lord, and because we're human and we're frail, we, 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 we mess up with trust. We mess up with trust. Because other people have burned us, we don't trust even you. Lord, but you are, you are throughout scripture, the most trustworthy person ever. You will never leave us. You will never, you will never abandon us. You will never let us down. God, your word is true. It's the only thing that we have as Christians to fully hold on to, your word and death at some point. Lord, and because we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to just choose to trust you, even though we don't understand it, even though we're struggling through the hardest things in our life, to know that you have given us a promise to be with us we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you didn't just leave us to live life, but you have given us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to give us strength, to lead us into truth. Lord, help us to be people that just trust you, God, because you are trustworthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.